A little bit different today. We had just begun two weeks ago. I just started a series that we will be doing probably for the next six months-ish or so on the miracles and parables of Christ. We had finished up a series on the book of First Samuel and the theme of First Samuel was really looking for the king. And so what we want to do is we want to behold the king and we can see the king and his rule and his reign as he's begun to establish his reign um, clearly in the New Testament as, as he establishes his rule and reign. We see that through his parables and he talks about the kingdom, what it looks like to live in the kingdom and, and then also his rule and you see that in his kingdom authority through his miracles. But today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to, we're going to already take a break after just a week. Um, you know, this, this past week has been an unusual one. It's been a tumultuous one. It's been a trying week for a lot of people. You know, it's, it's in some ways been like a world gone mad. But you know, God's people throughout history have always lived distinctly in the midst of a world gone mad. And I want to help provide some perspective today. You know, prior to the flood, if you think back to that time in the Bible, prior to the flood, Noah was living in the midst of a world truly gone mad and extreme evil had gotten to the place where God had to wipe out all of mankind because it had been so corrupted. And later in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they were surrounded by nations who corrupted justice openly. They practiced all manner of debauchery and child sacrifice. If you think about when Jesus came on the scene, he came on the scene in the midst of a, of a very corrupt system where God's people were being oppressed and they were being enslaved by the Romans. The empire of the Romans was subjugating the people of Israel, but Jesus didn't come to deliver the people of Israel in, in a national level. He came to deliver them into his kingdom to inaugurate his new kingdom. After Jesus ascended, his disciples were then persecuted in a world that seemed to get even crazier. They spread throughout the world, though, and they took the good news of the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus Christ to the world. But, you know, wars and rumors of wars persisted throughout the, the millennia. And then you look in the 1500s, and it seemed if by the 1500s, if it was possible, that the church had forgotten their way completely. They'd lost their moorings in general, and then... A guy named Martin Luther came along and the church was a buying, uh, allowing people to buy so-called indulgences, which was really nothing more than just permission to sin. And they, they would pay for permission to sin in order for the church to get money to build St. Peter's Basilica. So the world around us has always been a mess. And today we are keenly aware that the world around us is a mess. It's a world that seems like it's gone mad, isn't it? If you've been following the news in the last few days, the last couple of weeks, no matter your political leanings, it doesn't matter. We're not a church that, that picks political sides. We, we have a kingdom that is not this one. It's from heaven above. But no matter where your leanings are, you have to scratch your head and say, you know what? Our, our politics are a little messed up. They're abysmal. Many feel the government's out of touch with its citizens. Terrorism's rampant in the world. Political corruptness. And political correctness abounds. Sins once publicly recognized as sin no longer are seen as sin, but they're embraced. And people who say that it's sin are seen as being hateful or discriminatory. 
Real discrimination still exists. Inequality is a big problem. There's still a very large portion of our society that feels marginalized because of the color of their skin. Blame is being thrown around by many. It can be confusing. It can be difficult. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody jumps to conclusions. Everybody wants to defend their perspectives. But very few are listening to each other. It's a world gone mad in some respects, right? Persecution, suspicion, not only about people of color, but police officers as well. That's escalated. Those who protect and service, they face impossibly difficult split-second decisions of life and death, and, and they feel wrongly judged and alone and misunderstood. We've recently seen wrongful killings of people by police officers. We've also seen the wrongful killings of police officers. It's been a grievous week for all those families involved. And we mourn with them. We grieve with them. We can't ignore them. All, all of our society, all the world around us seems to have erupted. And you think, this is nuts, right? This is a world gone mad. People are concerned, confused, anxious, disconcerted, afraid, divided, opinionated, polarized, disillusioned maybe. You know, and, and we've got to be careful that it doesn't spread to us as people who have placed our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. I think we need to make sure that we have perspective and that we don't fall prey to all of those traps. And we don't fall prey to jumping to conclusions and expressing our strong opinions. We can, you know, we can see, we can experience a broad spectrum of emotions. Maybe you're like me this week and you experienced a very wide spectrum of emotions from, from grief to bewilderment to, to anger and Maybe some are depressed and feel hopeless. Maybe some are tired and just resign themselves to think, you know what, I just can't do anything about it. I just, I don't know how to address these issues. And maybe others are looking for hope in this world's systems. You know, it's times like this that we, it's right to grieve as a church. It's right to grieve the ills of society around us. It's right to grieve our own sinful nature that we have sinful tendencies, that we erupt. We say stupid things on Facebook. We, we discriminate we harm others with our actions our attitude our words it's right to grieve those things but i think as christians we need to make sure that we don't stop at grief we need to make sure we have a godly perspective and so today we change things up a little bit um, we're, we're not going to be going through the the parables or miracles of jesus but we will be reminded of where our where our place of refuge is I want to encourage us all from Psalm 46. If you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 46, let's read the psalm this morning. And I want it to reorient our perspective. It's not going to, I'm not going to answer any questions about practically what should we do right now. I'm not going to start there because that's the wrong place to start. The place to start is to reorient our perspective to begin with. And then from there, then we can respond to the things that are going on around us. But let's get God's perspective from Psalm 46. Let's read his holy inspired word together. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, 
Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come and behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would reorient our thinking, that we would come to you, that we would be still and know you, that we would know that you are God that we would see that you are our refuge, that we would, we would start from our place in you. And from there, I pray that we would have hope to take your hope to every tribe and tongue and nation. God, we pray for the families of all those this past week who have been murdered. God, we pray for your kingdom to come, as we sang about earlier. God, I pray for your will to be done. Lord, we need your kingdom rule. We need your kingdom reign more than our own rule, our own reign, our own will. We need you. God, thank you that you do reign, you do rule, but we ask for your kingdom to come fully. We ask for your kingdom to come in our own hearts and our own minds. Would you rule our hearts and minds? Would you rule our thinking, our speech, our actions? And then, Father, I pray that you would, your kingdom would reign in the earth around us. In, in Jesus' name we pray. Lord, help us give attention to your word. Amen. Well, there were many dark and dangerous times in the Protestant Reformation, and Martin Luther, at times, he'd be tempted to discouragement. He'd be tempted to despair and depression. He wasn't immune to those things. And that was, it's good for me to see and read biographies of men like that, to know that Great people of God still face discouragement, depression, discouragement. But it's said that whenever Martin Luther would find himself in that place where he was depressed or discouraged, he would turn to his good friend Philip Melanchthon and he would, he would say, Come, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. He was encouraged by the Psalms, and I believe God has encouragement for us from the Psalm as we, we're going to look at really three main ideas from this Psalm that I, that I want to reorient our thinking. I think, believe God would have us reorient our thinking too. And, and really the first thing we're going to see in the first three verses is that God is our present help. Maybe you are aware of your need for help. Help to respond personally. Help to understand things. Help to, to think outside of your perspective. Help to Love others. Verses 1 3 show us that God is our present help. And verses 4 to 7, we'll see that God is our peace giving presence. Maybe you're not feeling like you have peace and you're anxious right now. Maybe you're seeing anxiety around you. You need to see that God is our peace giving presence. He is our peace. 
not our circumstances here. And then finally in verses 8 through 11, we'll see that, that God is our powerful sovereign. He is our present help. He's our peace-giving presence. And he's our powerful sovereign. He's reigning and he's ruling even when things seem chaotic and the world seems to have gone mad. It's times like these, you might feel alone, you might feel confused, you might feel like you're surrounded on all sides by a world gone mad. Sometimes we can not only feel helpless ourselves, but we can feel as if we can't help. And we need to see that God is our present help. God is our present help. Look down your Bibles with me, please. It says, God is our refuge and strength. You notice those words he's using. God is our refuge and strength. A different way of saying that is a very present help in trouble. Because he's our refuge and strength, he is our very present help in trouble. You know, in ancient times when a force would overpower you or an enemy would come against you, the citizens would would be in danger as well. They didn't have any such rules of combat where they respected the citizenry. They would come and wipe out everyone. And so in this context of the Psalms, they were aware when enemies would come in, you better run. You need to go to a place of safety. You need to go to a place of refuge. When somebody came and assaulted you, you needed to go to a place that was safe. And so you looked for a place of refuge. People would run to the hills, especially in that context in Israel that was surrounded by all these hills and they had caves in them. But caves would really provide very little shelter, very temporary shelter. Some of those around Jerusalem, they run to this walled city and, and that was probably the context that this psalm was written in was, was after the establishment of the city of Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem had these strong walls and, and they go to be protected by the army. And so they run to Jerusalem for refuge. But the problem is with running to a city for refuge, it's only temporary until your supplies run out. Um, whose walls are you looking to for refuge today? Where, where do you look for refuge? Where do you run for refuge when, when things are confusing, when it seems that the world around you is against you or the devil is against you or when you feel insecure? Where do you look for refuge? Whose walls are you looking on? Where, where are you looking for security? Is, are you looking for security in government and politics and in and, and the army and, and peace and protests or money or... The United Nations, noble ideology. Where, where are you looking for refuge this morning? I want to challenge us to, to not look to any of our own systems for refuge. All of them will fail. All of them are like caves. They, they leave us vulnerable. All of them are like cities. They eventually will run out as a place of refuge for us. But where is your refuge? Ask yourself, really, honestly, where is your place of refuge? Where have you been running this week? Where have you been running last night, today, for your place of refuge? Where will our peace be when things go wrong, when the world goes mad? Because let me tell you, the world is a little mad, right? You know, take your eyes off of yourself. That's what we need to do. Take our eyes off ourselves and our, our limited field of vision. And we look, need to look up and see the one in whom is our refuge. He is greater than any wall or army or system or ideology. You know, if our, if our peace lies with this one, we'll never be dismayed. Where's your peace this morning? Where's your refuge? Where are you looking for strength? You know, I was reminded as I was thinking about that term refuge and strength, there, there was a, a book and then later a movie from the Lord of the Rings. I've never referenced them before. I'm sorry. I, I'm a geek at heart. So um, there's this, it's called The Two Towers. It was the, the second of the trilogy. And in this, 
this second book, it, it really tells the story of how this entire people looks for refuge in this place called Helm's Deep. And, and they look for refuge there and it, because it has never been breached. And yet this great place of refuge was breached. You know, in middle, medieval times, later churches became a place of refuge where people would run. Um, even if they were guilty, they would run there to hide they would go, go to churches where nobody dared to attack those places. They could find solace and safety. Where is your place of refuge? Where do you run? Where do you hide? Where do you go? You know, walled cities are eventually torn down and laid siege to. Caves are exposed. And so when the psalmist tells us God is our refuge, think of it in the context of of what he's writing, and ultimately there is no safe refuge in this earth or any system or kingdom or nation of this earth. But when he says God is our refuge, think about what that means. Think about what it means, God is our refuge. What, is, what does that mean? It means that God, our creator, the creator of all things, of heaven and earth, the almighty one, he himself is our place of refuge. And think about that. If, if God himself is your place of refuge, then who can ultimately hurt you? Is anyone bigger than God? Is anyone greater than God? That's what we're meant to see in the psalmist, is God is our refuge, the Almighty One himself. He is our place of refuge. He's our unassailable fortress. He is the one who can never fail. He's the source and giver of all life. His, his supplies will never run out. He's our place of refuge. He's our unassailable fortress. He's the source and giver of life. And if your place of refuge is in Him, your life ultimately cannot be taken. Even though you die, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the worst that man can do to you is kill you here on earth, but you will never Die in Christ Jesus. You have eternal life. And in Him, your life is safe. Not only that, while you are alive here, He is your source of supply and strength. That's why He says God is a refuge and our strength. So think of the term refuge. It's, it's something outside of us, right? God is our refuge. He's our external power that guards, and, guards us, that, that comforts us, that protects us but he's not only external to us he's not just the refuge and place we run to he's also internal to us he is our source of strength think about how when paul said in second corinthians twelve nine, paul was was aware that he needed god he, he needed jesus he was aware of his weakness and and, and Paul here in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, speaking of Jesus, says, But he, Jesus, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Why? For my power is made perfect in weakness. Maybe you're feeling weak today. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. And as Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon you. Where are you looking for your source of strength? If you're looking for your own strength, that's a really feeble place to be. But if you're looking to his strength, it never runs out. And his power is made perfect in your weakness. No king, no ruler, no army is more powerful than God. He's our strength. Not only that, God, he says, he's our very present help. Think about what that means. God is our present help. That language here literally means that he is findable. 
He's findable. He's able to be found. Maybe you scratch your head when you look at world events and you think, where's God in all of this, right? Maybe this past week you're like, where's God? Where, where, where is God? We need to reorient our perspective. God is our very present help. He is, he is present with us. He's findable. He's, he can be found when needed. Remember what Jesus told us in Matthew 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks will be opened. And then he speaks of God's character. And he says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, you like that? Jesus calls us evil. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? And the reason why is because he is present. When we ask of him, we receive. When we seek him, we find. When we knock to find him, he opens the door to us. Paul said something similar, but just worded a little differently in Philippians 4, 7. He says, the Lord is at hand. Often we skip ahead to the second part when it says the command, therefore be anxious for nothing. We forget the first part. The Lord is at hand. He is very present. Are you aware of that today? Are you, were you aware of that this week? Are you aware of that when you look at situations and circumstances that have happened that the Lord is actually at hand as confusing as things are? Therefore, don't be anxious for anything, Philippians tells us. But in everything, by what? By prayer and supplication. I love that we sang that song. That was really the Lord's Prayer. I contemplated actually preaching from the Lord's Prayer today because we, we need His kingdom to come. We need His will to be done. I, I had three or four different messages I wanted to preach to you. I'm not going to preach them all, I promise. Um, at, at least mostly not. And, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And, and here's the promise. Knowing the Lord's at hand and you can come to him because he can be found. He hears your requests. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the effect of knowing that God's your refuse. He's your strength. He's your very present help. You can come to him. He hears you. Maybe you're feeling troubled. I hope you're feeling troubled in one sense. I hope you're troubled by the things that are going on around you. I hope you're not just ambivalent. If you are a Christian, you should be bothered by injustice. No matter what form it takes. It should bother you. You should be troubled, but then you should take your troubles to God. He's our very present help in trouble. You know, I was thinking about why why we need to go to Him for refuge. Why we need to go to Him for strength. And, and the scripture addresses, he says, you know, God is our present have very present help and trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Why is it saying that? Because we are prone to fear. We're prone to fear. And I was thinking about when am I most fearful? I am most fearful when I am most aware of my own strength and least aware of his strength. Maybe you're fearful as you look at society around us and the craziness and, and division, and you're fearful. What in the world are we coming to? Are, are we losing all of the hard-won graces that God has given to us in the last 40 or 50 years? Are you fearful about those things? Well, when I am fearful like that, I'm, it's because I'm most aware of my own abilities and strength 
and deep down I know that I'm not enough. That part's kind of okay, right? Knowing that we're not enough. But if you stop there, that's the wrong place to stop. You need to see that he is your present help in times of trouble, that he is ultimately able to help you, to enable you. Therefore, in verse 2, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. I mean, what's the very worst you can imagine? The earth giving way. Now, it's not just talking about physically, but when the world seems shaken around us, when it's like the mountains have been moved to the sea, the heart of the sea, and, and everything is turned upside down. When that happens, we will not fear because God's our refuge and strength. Are you fearing today? Have you been fearful? Are you troubled? Where are you looking for for hope? The Christian, our hope is found in Christ, knowing that we don't have a righteousness of our own, but we have a righteousness that's found in Christ Jesus, so we no longer need to fear God and His wrath. And if we don't need to fear God and His wrath, if God is now for us, then who can be against us? And if God is for us, and, and Jesus loves us, and nothing can separate us from His love, we have no reason to fear He's given us the righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith. And I was, I was looking at pictures last week when we were on vacation. Julie's mom had brought down pictures from World War I. Her, her dad, um, she's in her 70s, and so her dad, um, who's now passed, he participated in World War I in the infantry. And so there's pictures from him of the battles in World War I. And there's these various scenes, and they're, they're gruesome, and they're disturbing one of these pictures, you can, you can see that he took, the, the whole battlefield is covered with smoke. And so all you see is smoke, really, and just a few snippets of, is that a battlefield? Are there people there? What's going on here? And you can barely see because, see because there's a little caption down below he wrote on it. It's a smoke screen was being laid. They were laying down a smoke screen, and they would lay down those smoke screens in order to cover their movements. And, and sometimes that smoke screen would be filled with mustard gas, and it made it hard to breathe. And, but the smoke screen was used to deceive. It was used to, to confuse, to obscure, to make blind. And that's what fear does. Fear, it makes us blind. It makes obscures things. It confuses. It deceives. It makes us so that we don't know what to do. We need to know the therefore we will not fear. You know, fear debilitates and obscures God like an impenetrable smokescreen. Conversely, faith is like a fresh wind that blows. And faith is given to us when we look and see that God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Instead, we have faith. And His fresh wind of faith blows into our hearts and minds and it it gives us fresh air to breathe that invigorates us and gives us confidence in God. And, and then it gives us the kind of confidence that Paul had in Romans eight thirty one when he says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If you're wondering where your help will come from to address and respond to rightly, to think through rightly, You need to remember that God is for you. And He will graciously give you all things as we humble ourselves before Him and don't rely on our own understanding or our own strength. Because God has sent His Son on our behalf, we have a proven refuge no matter what comes on this earth. Verse 3, He says, Though the waters roar and foam, even though the mountains tremble at its swelling, 
Sometimes you can feel like that, can't you? You can feel like the, the seas are crashing in around you. Maybe in your personal life you feel like that, not just in, in the culture, but you feel that personally. Not only is, is God our present help so we don't need to fear, verses 4 to 7 we see that God is our peace-giving presence. God's our peace-giving presence. Right now, I don't know about you, but I personally need peace, and we need peace in our culture and the society around us, don't we? We need peace. But we need a real peace, and we need to, to go back to where we really find peace, and that, that God is our peace-giving presence. We begin with looking to God for that peace-giving presence, remembering, knowing that God is where we know peace, and then we can bring His peace to others. But let's be sure that we're not trying to bring a false peace, that we really are bringing God's peace to the situation. Look in verse 4. He says, there is a river. And you might be wondering about some of the language here. We're going to unpack this a little bit. It says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And you're like, what? Why is it talking about rivers and cities? He says, there's a river whose streams make glad the cities of God, the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Well, imagine if for a moment you lived in in a land that was... Once a great nation, but had been split by a civil war into two countries. Your brothers to the north, maybe they were members of a different country, yet you were all once part of the same family. And imagine that as you watch as the country to the north is overtaken by a foreign land. And you watch how the people are slaughtered and the remnant is sold into slavery. And you're helpless to defend them. And just when things seem peaceful, the same foreign power comes and now is terrorizing your city, terrorizing your place, your home. And you see that they're coming to your city, and so you flee to the capital city, and you believe you'll be safe. Only what happens, the enemy comes and surrounds your city, your place of refuge. And the enemy threatens to wipe out every last one of you. Imagine that this enemy army has taken everything from you. That you've even stripped off the gold from your church. Not that we have gold here, we don't. We got some wood, some drywall, but... Imagine that, you know, you stripped away all the most valuable things to appease them. They wouldn't be abated. How would you respond? What would you do? That's the context that most scholars believe that this psalm was written in. It's not one we can't relate to. It's a very relatable place. It's actually even more drastic than what we're experiencing. Division, separation. People of Israel in the time of Hezekiah, they didn't have to imagine. They lived a nightmare. Second Kings 18 tells what's most likely the setting for this psalm. And it's meant to give us hope by seeing that setting. I want to just share just a little bit about that background in Second Kings 18. You, you can turn there if you like, but you don't need to. I'll read it for you. The Syrian king, he is a personal, he sent a personal representative to go and to harass the people of Jerusalem as they are in their walled city, their place of refuge. And, and he goes to him and he says, this is what the great king of Assyria says. He says, what are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Which of your allies will give you any military backing against Assyria? And he goes on, he says, will Egypt give you help? He says, they're pitiful, the Pharaoh is unreliable. And then in verse 22 of chapter 18 in 2 Kings, he says, but perhaps you'll say, we're trusting in the Lord our God. He says, I'll tell you what. He says, my master, the king of Assyria, he'll strike a bargain with you. If you can find 2,000 horsemen in your entire army, then we'll give you 2,000 horse. And then he says, what's more? 
Do you think we've invaded your land without the Lord's direction? Ooh, he uses God against them. He says, the Lord himself told us, go and destroy it. And then he goes on from there and he says, my master wants everybody in verse 27, he says, in Jerusalem to hear this, not just you. He wants them to know that if you don't surrender, this city will be put under siege. The people become so hungry and thirsty, they'll eat their own dung and drink their own urine. And he goes on and says, don't let the king of Hezekiah deceive you. He'll never be able to rescue you from my power. Don't let him fool you to trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will rescue us. This city will be handed over to the Syrian king. Don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms he offers. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then I'll allow each of you to continue eating from your own garden and drinking from your own well. Why is it a big deal? Because in that walled city, as siege was being laid against them, they really would have been thirsty. In a walled city, they, they would have been made glad if they had a source or a river or a supply within that city that gave them something to drink. They wouldn't have to worry about this threat. And so in that context, when he says that there is a river who makes glad the city of God, it would have meant something to them. If you had a river that sprang up within you, you would look to that source for life. And this passage is talking about a physical city, but for us today who have placed our hope in Jesus Christ, in some respects, we are the city of God. Now, I'm I'm playing a little loosely with that terms, but in the sense of, he says, the dwelling place of the Most High. Jerusalem was the dwelling place of the Most High. So who is the dwelling place of the Most High today? All those who place their faith or trust in Jesus Christ. He does what? We, We heard about a couple weeks ago. He makes his dwelling place within us. And so in some respects, the church is is the representative of God's city right now, His kingdom, His place. His rule and reign where it is manifested most. And if you place your life and your faith and, and your hope in Jesus Christ, you've been born again to new life and you've been given the same life-giving spirit that dwells within Jesus Christ. And Jesus told his disciples in John 14, if you look in your overheads, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The dwelling place of the Most High will be with you, will be in you. Isn't that astounding? We can have an even greater assurance than the people of Israel in Jerusalem had that their dwelling place was in the temple in Jerusalem, that physical place. The dwelling place of God is with all of those who have placed our trust in Him. The Apostle Paul, he wrote in Romans 8, he says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, if you had the dwelling place of the Most High, he says, He will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. There is a river who makes glad the city of God, the dwelling place of the Most High God. We are the dwelling place of the Most High King, the greatest King. So when John told us Jesus stood up and He makes this declaration, it gives new meaning. In John 7, Jesus stood up at the end of the feast and he says to everybody around him, he says, if anyone thirsts, 
If anyone thirsts, he says, let him come to me and drink. Who's the river that we're looking to? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, notice the language he uses here. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Is Jesus making you glad? Is his presence within you empowering you? Is he satiating your thirst? If you're thirsty, are you coming to him and drinking? No matter who surrounds you, what happens around you, do you know that you have a river of life, Jesus Christ, that dwells within you? This world's not our true home, and ultimately, it's not really talking about this, ultimately, the fulfillment of that place where God's presence is fully manifested. Ultimately, we will see that in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's what our hope is, is that when he comes, when he returns, he will fully make his presence known. His kingdom will fully come. So now we have a part of the kingdom that's been inaugurated, but yet it will fully come one day. And then we have this beautiful picture in Revelation. It tells us, and then God will make his presence with men fully and and we will see him face to face. But not only that, it tells us something else. There will be a river that flows from the center of the city, that flows from within, and its origins is what? Jesus, the same one who dwells within you. Isn't that astounding? God is in the, look in verse 5 of Psalm 46. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. If God is in, in you, you shall not be moved. God will help when morning dawns. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Not in peace around you, but in Christ you might have peace. He says, in the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you know that in him you have peace and that he's overcome the world? Do you know that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. You might be feeling like the gates of hell are prevailing right now. He is within you. He has built you. He will prevail. Look in verse 6. It says, of chapter 46 of Psalms, it says, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. But then in contrast, it says, He utters His voice. The earth melts. What a picture that is. So the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. But in contrast, He utters His voice. He speaks. And what happens? The earth melts. The very earth melts. His voice is enough to make the earth melt. Where's your confidence? The Lord of hosts is with us. Look in verse 7. It says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know what happened after the king of Assyria, his representative said that and maligned them in, in 2 Kings 18, verse 25. God responds to the prophet Isaiah. He says, But have you not heard... It was I, the Lord, who decided this long ago. Long ago I planned what I'm now causing to happen, but I know you well. Your comings and goings and all you do. I know the way you've raged against me because of your arrogance against me, which I have heard for myself. I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your mouth. I will make you return by the road on which you came. For a remnant of my people will spread out from Jerusalem. A group of survivors from Mount Zion. The passion of the Lord Almighty will make this happen. And then he tells us, that night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp 
and killed 185,000 Assyrian troops. When the morning comes, God brings his victory. He says, when the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. We need to look back and look up. Look back and see and get perspective that he is all-powerful. When he speaks, the earth melts. Don't be intimidated. Don't worry if our nation crumbles and kingdoms totter. His kingdom will not totter. God's with us. He makes the whole earth melt with his voice. Notice something else really interesting. Look down in the Psalms. It says, the God of who? Something interesting there. The God of who is our fortress? Jacob. Why does he use the word Jacob? Why does he use the name Jacob? Wasn't Jacob's name changed later to Israel? Isn't that kind of an insult? Doesn't Jacob mean deceiver, supplanter, liar? Why didn't he say, and the God of Israel will be with you? I think there was a reason. Because we need to see that the God who is with us is the God of people who are messed up. People who are sinful. People who are deceivers and liars and supplanters. That God, the kind of God who is with the deceiver, even though he didn't deserve it, he is our fortress. He's a merciful God. He's a loving God. He's a, he's a, a kind God who comes to those who need help, who are weak, who are messed up, who are sinful. That's what we need to see. He's the fortress for messed up, sinful people. And ultimately, Jesus is the fulfillment of God with us. Emmanuel, he rushed into danger on our behalf. He took God's wrath in our place. He took everything we had to fear truly. And so now we don't need to fear because he's our present help. Because he's your peace-giving presence, we won't be moved. And finally, in verses 8 through 11, we see that God is our powerful sovereign. Do you see that? Do you know that? You know, God is our powerful sovereign. We need perspective because we lose perspective. We need to look back and see the words of the Lord. The psalmist in verse 8 says, Come behold the works of the Lord. What are you beholding right now? What have you been beholding this week? Have you been beholding the news? You've been glued to everything that's happening more than you've been glued to the fact that God is at work despite all of this stuff? What are you beholding most? He says, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He's active in history. We will not panic. He controls history. We will not be moved. In verse 9 it says, He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He's not only our sovereign over all of history, He ordains history. He's over history. And He moves beyond history. He's ultimately establishing what? His kingdom. He ultimately accomplishes His purposes. One day there will be no more fighting. He'll put an end to all of this. There'll be no more trouble, no more separation, no more division. Today, God has already begun to call a people from every tribe and tongue and nation to himself. He's making from every nation one people, one race for himself. Look and behold the works of the Lord. And then he tells us in verse 10. Look down at verse 10 as we get ready to wrap things up. It says, be still. I think we need to be still more. Be still. Stop moving around. Stop being so anxious. Stop stop striving. Stop struggling. Stop fighting. Be still and know what? That I am God. You're not God. 
Know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. His kingdom will come. His rule will be established. He will reign. He will rule. Be still. Relax. Stop striving. In other ways, other terms that translations put it, stop your fighting. Be silent. Desist. Rest in Him. Maybe another way of putting that is the way that the Hebrews 4, 9 and 10 put it. It says, Therefore, since there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Be still and know that he is God. It doesn't mean stop, stop working for, for justice. It, it means be still. While we are working, rest in his work. Do you rest in knowing God? Where are you this morning? Are you still? Are you resting? Are you trusting in God? Do you know God? Do you know God personally? Not just know about Him. I don't mean were you raised in the, in the what, what Flannery O'Connor calls the God-haunted South. Were you, do you know about God or do you know God personally? Have you known the things about Him? And sure, I know that Jesus came and died for my sins and I know about all those things. But have you placed your own personal hope and faith in God to the place where you have a relationship with Him? You know Him and He knows you. You know, I can say that in one sense, back in 1990, when I first met my wife in a grocery store, yeah, you can, I'll tell you the story some other time. I was, a, I was a cashier and she would come to my line and we would flirt. It wasn't the best thing, but I, I knew who she was. I saw her, I recognized her, I knew her, kind of. I knew who she was, I recognized her, I knew about her. I would know snippets about her from different conversations and, and I kind of liked her back in 1990 and... And I recognized her, I knew about her, but now I know that I really didn't know her. I knew about her, I was attracted to her. But you know, after 26 years of being around her, I can say mostly that I, I really do know her now. Now I'm learning more and more about her all the time and, and more and more amazed still by how God is at work in her and, and still love getting to continue to know her. But I can say that, you know, I can say as much as any human can, that, yeah, I know my wife. I know her. I have a relationship with her. I'm, I've been around her for 26 years. Uh, I, I have communion with her. I have fellowship with her. I talk to her about things. She knows how, the way I think. I know the way she thinks. And um, I, I know her. I know her character, her nature. Do, do you know God or do you know about God? Do you just kind of see him in the grocery store? You know, do you just kind of check him out on Sunday mornings? on Wednesday nights or wherever you feel most Christian-like? Or do you know him for real? Do you more than just check him out? Do you have a relationship with him? If so, you be still and know that he is God and he will give you peace. But ask yourself, how well do you know God? What do you need to do to get to know God better? Be still and know that he'll be exalted among the nations. That's ultimately our hope. His kingdom will come. And that's what we're praying for. He'll be exalted in the earth. He is with us. He's our fortress. The question I have for you is, where are you getting your perspective? All of us have a biased off perspective to some degree, by the way. Where are you getting your perspective? The media, television, newspapers, Facebook, friends. 
You know, it's easy to get the world's perspective. Do you have God's perspective on us in our circumstances and situation? That's what I want to start with. That's why it's not just a practical message. Here's what to do in response. You need to start with God's perspective. Do you have God's perspective? You know, the media wants us to believe everything they're saying, but if we're firmly grounded in what God wants us to believe, and we have a perspective that's grounded in His Word, that will lead us and guide us into the truth and how we should respond, what we should do, how we should act. Are we we God-centered or are we man-centered? Who's controlling your emotions? Are you fearful? Are you anxious? Are you angry? Be still. Rest in God. Know Him. That doesn't mean we stop taking taking action. It means that we, we stop in the midst of this troubled times and we start with knowing God. You know, it's only as we understand that as Christians that we're His citizens. We're, we're His people, His new chosen race. We're His holy nation. We're a people for His own possession. It's only then that we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And getting perspective means that that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be declaring that. His reconciling nature. That He's called us out of this darkness, out of this crazy mad world. And if we start there, we can go out as strangers. Go out as sojourners and show mercy to others like we receive mercy. You can extend forgiveness because you've been forgiven. You can have compassion as God in Christ has had compassion on you. You can be ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation because He has reconciled you to God. And so it's from that perspective, church, that, that we can and we must change. In and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we've been changed by God, because we know God's the source of our strength, we can move forward in hope, because God's our present help, we don't fear, because God's our peace-giving presence, we won't be moved, because God's our powerful sovereign, we can be confident in Him no matter what. And look at verse 11, it says, The Lord is with us, the God of Jacob's our fortress, in these times of trouble, like Martin Luther, let's say, come! And then... In reality, I want to actually ask the band to come. Come, Joe. Let's sing at least Martin Luther's version of the 46th Psalm. He penned a mighty fortress of God. I don't think we've sang that in, in this church in I don't know how many years. It's a really old hymn. It's a little, it's a little um, wooden, but it's a great hymn because it expresses the truths of Psalm 46. And, and that's what we want to, how we want to respond, or at least begin to respond in times of trouble, he, he wrote this adaptation of Psalm 46. And, and I want to encourage our own hearts with a mighty fortress. Is there God? Are you okay doing that, Joe? All right, excellent. Wonderful. Well, let's just pray for a moment as they're getting ready. Father, our Father, who is in heaven, holy be your name. We do pray that your kingdom would come that your will would be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Would you give us our daily bread, everything we need, provide for us? Would you forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us? Would you not lead us into temptation, God, but would you deliver us from evil for your name's sake? And God, we pray these things because yours is the power, yours is the glory, yours is the kingdom, now and forever.
Amen.